Hello, everybody. Welcome to What's the Story podcast, WTS 272. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. You're fixing your hair there, Graham. Is that a fresh cut? No, it's over a week. Still looking fresh, so whoever yeah, done that is. for you, they've done a decent job, my friend. Yeah. Her name is Anna, and it was in... Um, Knights Barbers in Stevens Green. Fairly, you go all the way into Stevens Green for an hour. I had an appointment in the INR, so I just said, uh, it. Yeah, and I used to work in Dundrum, Knights in Dundrum, yep. and she moved to the Green. So, um, she gives me my best haircut since Jason Brophy left our lives, abandoned um, us, abandoned said. us, abandoned so, the heads of the border. Boy, yeah, so, going off and doing his own thing and leaving people out there trying to find a new barber. Since Jason Rofi, it's just been a, a big ball of inconsistencies. Hmm. Miss you, Rofi. Uh, it's one of the best you, haircuts in my life. But while we're plugging barbers, I will continue to plug my barber, Aaron, here in Port Leash, a gentleman of the highest. How is Aaron? He's doing great. He's doing great. They've rebranded. They're now called Rude Boys. They have a bit of a scar team going on. Which Deadly. Yeah. Um, the two shops, one in Port Leash, one in Kilkenny. And uh, they're, I couldn't reg- There's two Aaron's in the shop Two diamonds Two absolute diamonds And if uh, anybody In this part of the world I think most people In Leash don't like me So they probably don't Listen to the podcast Yeah um, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly talking about How bad Leash is Compared to The urban metropolis That is Home And this will never be home And uh, people in Leash I like you But you know Look Danny Yes What's back after A two year absence The Rose of Chile Are you excited? I love the Rose of Schlieve. I <laughs> love the... What's not to love about it? It's Eurovision, as you know, I'm a massive Eurovision fan. And Rose of Schlieve is probably... It's it's a couple of notches down the ladder, but it's up there in terms of must-watch television. I love it. I Absolutely. Love it. And friend of the show and, and multiple-time guest now, Brianna Parkins, of course, got her time as a Rose, um, you know, which we talked about the first time we had Brianna on the podcast. Yeah. You know? And the second time we had her on, I forgot she was a rose. Yep, that'll happen, you know. But it's, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And I like the fact that they've, uh, well, they may change a couple of years ago, but it seems like this year they've got the, the publicity for it, maybe COVID and all that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, 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 it takes a village, Graham. I can tell you that. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a massive endeavor for the it people. Takes really. the it does, man. It's a massive endeavor go? for the people. Did you ever go? I didn't. I'd love to go, but it's black toy. We'll talk about it another time, lads. We'll talk about it another time. Um, Graham, Elon Musk is going to buy Manchester United, and I've no time for it at all. I don't like. He said he was taking the piss. Thank God for that. He said it was a running joke. Your man, Sir Jim Radcliffe, or something, whoever he uh, is, is going to buy. Who's he? No idea. I don't know who most of these people are. All I know is I don't particularly like Elon Musk. Oh, I can't stand him. He's a. you know, his, you know, his, you know, his father married a woman. They adopted the child. I read about And the father married that, yeah. that child. Yeah. They adopted a, a daughter. It was, I thought it was a stepdaughter. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm sure. But it, it, there was something a bit creepy and untoward about it. But yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I just, I've not. I, Why I just, do men love him? It's the Jordan. Why do white Peter- men love him? It's the Jordan Peterson crit. The same lads who are going to see Jordan Peterson in the Point Depot in a couple of weeks' time are the same fellas. Jordan who- Peterson back in the Point. He is. He is. Yeah, I don't know. We we need to have a long and hard chat with the male members of society who go. There, God, there are going to be 
a number of a number of women who are dragged along to that by boyfriends, husbands, significant others, and they're going to be just oh, just just hear them out, just hear them out. That's all. Just yeah, he makes some good points. He doesn't and he doesn't you know, make any good points. He's an absolute bell end. He yeah, knows yeah. he's a bell end as well. That's a problem. Did you ever? And, and, and people people put value to a to um the professor at the start of his name. You know, people put yeah. value into, into his points. Oh, sure, he's a professor. Yeah, know. yeah. Anybody who who isn't familiar with him, I would say, uh, look up. Stay away from him. <laughs> do do, but just look up Jordan Peterson. Dream about his granny. Oh no, it's, it's mental. But anyway, look. Anyway, uh, from what is it? The twelve rules or something, Dan? That's one of his things. Is the twelve rules to be a that, man? Or is something. that Razor Ramon in the background? That is Razor Ramon, and there's Brett and Sean doing the sharpshooter. What's going? What are they? Uh, I'm I'm redecorating the office, and I got a couple of prints, and I haven't got frames for them yet. So just and then there's Rock and Austin as well. There, look, see. That's unreal. Where did yeah. you get them? Uh, Etsy, I think it was. But yeah, I saw the razor one. I was like, ah, I have to. Scott Hall passed away earlier this year. Like, I have to. You know what I mean? That's so, their class, man. Um, yeah, a few other music absolutely sensational. Ah, it's great. It's, it's top great. five, Danny. It's it top is top five. five. It is. You're right. It is top five. Um, but yeah, look, from talking about an absolute charlatan who uses the term professor, I mean, he's probably qualified. I should say that for legal reasons. But look, <laughs> you know, to uh, a professor who is worth her weight in gold and then some and other valuable materials that are priceless and everything else. Um, I'm going to gush personally for a moment here because I, I have, I, I've, I've a personal investment in this podcast, Graham, uh, in this episode, obviously I have one in the podcast. We've been doing it for seven years, but in this particular <laughs> episode, uh, and professor Helen Heenan, who is a bariatric guru. I'm not just going to say surgeon. She she knows everything there is to know and does everything there is to do with bariatric surgeries and is just changing the world one surgery at a time. And I genuinely mean that. Um, I went under the knife with her and we were talking there a couple of minutes ago. And so I, I should have actually said this while we were chatting to Helen because it's it's one of those things, you're going for surgery, you're going to be nervous. It's natural, right? Do you know what I mean? It's natural. Yeah. And I can remember being in Vincent's hospital, sitting there in my little bathrobe, in my own head a little bit. You know, like I was fine about surgery. I'd accepted it and everything else, but you can't help but be a little bit nervous, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sitting there waiting to go into theatre and in walks Professor Heenahan. Uh, she had her little cup of coffee. She was cool as a cucumber. Just came over, had a little casual chat with me and was just... It, like it, it just put because how laid back she was yeah. and everything else it just instantly made me feel at ease it put you at ease yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and then she just goes right I'm going to scrub up and I'll see you in theatre in a couple of minutes and she just as she grew up she just gave me hand a little squeeze as I'll see you in a few minutes and honestly at that moment in time she could have said to me listen in order to do this surgery I need to drill into your brain and I'd have been like you've got this you have a black and decker in the car I'll give you a lend of it yeah, like Honestly, so um, I can't recommend Horn our team enough, and they do absolutely amazing work. But look, uh, let's let's just cut to the chase, right? So a couple of weeks ago, lads, uh, after me and Mero came back from our summer holiday, uh, we were talking about me having a little trip to hospital and having surgery. And in the process of that conversation, Mero was asking me questions, and I was like, "Look, it'd be a lot better if we got an expert on to talk about this." 
be make way more sense if we got an expert in to talk about this. And a few people, re- like, actually a few people reached out and asked those questions and start getting in touch about it. So I said, all right, we're definitely going to get somebody on to talk about it. And I'm delighted to say Professor Helen Heenan, um, the woman who looked after me extremely well while I was getting uh, the surgery done, has joined us today. So Helen, thanks a million for coming along. I'm delighted, Denning. I'm absolutely delighted to be on. Um, so where do we start? Right. Well, let's start with the sample. Well, it's not sample, but what is bariatric surgery? So, no, it's the best place to start, I suppose, to define it, right? because it still surprises me the amount of people that don't understand what it is. Uh, even my co- some of colleagues um, around the hospital will still um, ask me what, what it's about. So it's essentially, um, and I, I can also tell you what it isn't. I suppose the commonest myths are that it's some kind of cosmetic operation or that it's just about weight loss. And as you well know, it's neither of those, neither of those things. So typically bariatric surgery are operations on a part of the gut that help people to lose weight and improve their health. So the commonest operations that we would now do would be an operation called the sleeve gastrectomy, which involves removing about three quarters of the stomach on average. Um, uh, and the second, the, the other common operation would be a gastric bypass, uh, which involves making the stomach smaller. You don't remove anything, just basically rearrange your gut uh, in, so the food takes a shortcut downstream. So like creating a diversion, a road diversion, you create the same for um, the path of food and that creates really important chemical changes in your gut uh, that help not you not just lose weight, but also to improve your metabolic health. So that create excellent, it creates excellent changes in gut hormones, in bile acid production and absorption, in gut microbiome, um, and all of those things feed back to the parts of the brain that control weight regulation, appetite, fullness, things like that. Um, yeah, there's other bariatric operations that we don't perform routinely because they have a limited role, uh, like mm. gastric banding, gastric balloon insertion, or more, I suppose, extreme operations that create a lot of malabsorption, like duodenal switch. Um, but essentially, that's kind of the, the um, breadth of bariatric surgery. But for us, it's typically sleep gastrectomy, gastric bypass operations, all of which, as you now know, are done by keyhole surgery or laparoscopically. Yeah, yeah, just, I think it's six or seven little incisions and the scars heal up very quickly, I've learned. Um, yeah, usually five, I hope it only... Was it five, <laughs> was it? Yeah, I, don't, I can't even yeah. remember because I know, it, yeah, once, <laughs> once the bandages came off, I was like, they're grand. <laughs> so, yeah, they're uh, tiny. They are, they are, absolutely, yeah, because I've, I've had knee surgery before and I've, I've a bigger scar on my knee, all right, so this, <laughs> this is a tidier job. Um, so in, in terms then of... That that's a kind of in a nutshell what it is and what it isn't. So in terms of kind of the you know the type of people who who need these surgeries and I, and I say need deliberately because I think that's kind of a misconception around people who have obesity and as you said like it's not really cosmetic. This isn't something that you know somebody wakes up in the morning and says all right well I'm going to go in and get that done. It's not it doesn't work like that essentially. So so what are the so what what's the typical profile if there is such a thing? Yeah, and it, it, it varies um, extremely, um, and there's certain eligibility criteria. We might start with them, I suppose, who's eligible. It doesn't mean somebody wants it or is absolutely suited to it, but people benefit from it if their weight is above a certain amount for their height. So you'll probably be familiar with the term BMI, body mass index, which 
um, it gives us an idea of what weight you should be for a particular height. And the it's a really poor marker for, I suppose, metabolic health, but it's what we have that's easily measured around the world, that's universal, that's objective, um, and is a pretty good indicator of ill health. The higher it is, generally, the, the more, I suppose, unhealthy it can make somebody, the higher the BMI is. So normal BMI is somewhere between eight, is 18 to 25. It's really well defined. Overweight is 25 to 30. And then above 30 is classified as obesity. And then there's different categories of obesity, mild, moderate, and severe, with severe being a BMI over 40. So really anybody with a BMI over 40, even if someone hasn't yet developed health complications, and 20% of people mightn't at that stage, they might be perfectly healthy on no medications, have no known illnesses. They might struggle with a bit of joint pain or mechanical things that getting around, you know, might be a bit mm -hmm. harder. They're not sick, um, but they will still benefit because the likelihood of them getting sick from their weight with the BMI over 40 is high uh, at some stage. So that's a definite eligibility criteria, BMI over 40, and no one around the world really argues with that, and that's quite well accepted. The other, if BMI is 35, then there's an indication for surgery when there's associated health problems, uh, particularly diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea, but in fact, there's, you know, up to 200 conditions that are linked to carrying extra weight. And uh, that could, you know, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every disease system, every organ uh, in the body can be affected by carrying extra weight. Um, you know, and that can be from skin conditions, from varicose veins, uh, from, you know, mental health problems as well. And um, mm. so there's so many health conditions that are either, you know, directly or indirectly linked to extra weight that they can lower the BMI eligibility to 35. There's a lot of people who would argue that spiritual surgery is so safe that actually if someone has like hypertension or hyperlipidemia and their BMI is 32 or 33, so they still have obesity and they have an illness related to that, that they too would benefit. But we in our clinic in Lockdownstown keep our BMI criteria to the international standards, which is BMI of 35 and over, because it's been well proven that the benefits of surgery outweigh the risks at that BMI and with those, um, you know, with, with those health problems already there. You know, in fact, you're probably more at risk from the health problems than from the surgery at that point. Not doing yeah. it is riskier than doing it. So that's basically, I suppose, who's eligible, you know, at a very basic level. Then we add in, layer in, you know, is someone able to have an operation? Are they safe enough to have a general anaesthetic? Um, and, you know, it's not, I mean, you've probably realised by now, it's not a particularly lengthy operation and the recovery is pretty quick. But if someone has a lot of comorbidity from a heart and lung point of view, you know, they, they may not be suited to an operation that's one to two hours long and and requires a general anaesthetic. That's actually quite uncommon. Most people can safely have the anaesthetic for that time. Um, so there's actually a few, there's very few contraindications. So that means somebody who should not have surgery. Um, and there are people who have any, I suppose, active or untreated psychological or psychi psych sorry, psychiatric disorder. Um, so treated, it's absolutely fine. So once a psychiatric disorder, like for example, severe depression, severe anxiety, uh, bipolar disease, schizophrenia, all those conditions, once they're treated, don't exclude somebody from having surgery, but untreated, they do, because it wouldn't be safe to um, uh, perform a life-changing operation on someone when they're untreated. Um, and then active substance abuse is another contraindication. 
So someone has to have the absence of those things, have the BMI criteria to make it, you know, I suppose beneficial and safe to proceed. Um, but then as you know, there's kind of other things we consider, you know, is somebody well prepared? Um, at Forest, do they understand what they're going to have and the lifelong consequences of having it, which are pretty significant. Uh, and someone has to be ready for change. As you want to say, if you weren't prepared and ready for the change that you are forced to undergo with surgery in terms of changing your relationship with food, it can be really unsettling. Uh, when you're prepared for that and really embrace it, it it's, it's easier, you know, and easy yeah. is probably uh, variable for some people. But, um, you know, to if you did, if someone just did this on a whim um, and hadn't really thought about it a lot, you know, they really shouldn't have it because they'll struggle to uh, deal with um, the consequences of change in the relationship with food drastically because it's so intertwined in all parts of our lives. Yeah. Um, and if someone doesn't really understand that until after the event, it's really hard to cope with it afterwards once it's thrust upon someone. And they can end up quite sick trying to adjust to it after the surgery. So that would be kind of the people, I suppose, who should have it and, and shouldn't have it. And like you said, needing it is one thing, you know. Yeah. So, sorry, I was just going to say that the psychological thing is something that, uh, like, because I went through the process, obviously, with, with Lockingstown and, and everything else. And it, it it's long. It is long. But... Mm-hmm. At the same time, that's, you know, there's a couple of different reasons for that, which we'll probably cover off in a, in a few minutes, or whatever. But at the same time, I was kind of glad it was that long because it gave me plenty of time to think about it. And I was really impressed with kind of the, the how the psychological side of things is tackled, um, for want of a better term, in terms of how thorough it is, how much they talk to you about it and ensure that kind of post-surgery, you, you know and you understand what life would be like and kind of what it is, you know, and it's um, from talking to a couple of people who've had the surgery abroad, they didn't have any of that. And I've kind of wondered, how did you cope? Like how, you know, because there's so many little things that, you know, you're, you're more, it kind of plays tricks in you at times, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the psychology side of it is, is, is really important, I think. And then yeah. just as well as that, Helen, um, what you're saying there, um, the international standard of BMI before, you know, the criteria. Um, and as Danny said there, alluded to, like, we would probably know a handful of people that have gone to Prague or Turkey for this procedure. I mean, is the criteria different abroad? Why are they going abroad? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure because I suppose I've seen people back um, with problems, Graham, who wouldn't have met the criteria for surgery here. Um, and it's it's proposing a big problem for us you know in terms of uh, it's really hard to manage the uh, complications when sometimes you don't even know what operation the person had they might know they're not as informed as i think a patient should be going into this and um, you know they um really have gotten surgery that maybe they wasn't in their best interest you know or that they weren't fully prepared for so you're right and, and you know um danny you made a good point that you know it's 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 a lengthy process in Lockenstown in our clinic and that's again i hope we talk about that later in terms of the waiting list you know it doesn't need to be that long but that that duration of time is you know um certainly the wait doesn't need to be that long i think it's still really important to have you know up to you know about nine visits uh, to the clinic beforehand to make sure this is really the right thing for somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, it shouldn't be the last resort that we leave it to be at the minute. You know, I think we should be introducing it into the treatment regime a lot earlier and suggesting it to people, you know, maybe sooner in the assessment process. Uh, but it can take time to get to know so for the team to get to know someone and look at their readiness to make, you know, things like that. So, 
you know, when you don't have that done, like you said, it's thrust upon people um, who didn't need it. That's really dangerous. I think that's quite dangerous. Um, I was conscious mm. of it's hard to, it's easy to be, you know, outside criticizing people, you know, other other clinics or centers. And I think, you know, when you're a glass house, you really shouldn't be throwing stones. You know, you could get a problem uh, tomorrow. Like when you're, when you do uh, like surgery is a very humbling thing. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're never, you could be, you know, an hour a day away from your next complication and things like that. But certainly the things you can control, which are preparing someone for surgery and selecting patients appropriately and well for surgery and informing them of potential risks and letting them choose, you know, that's, um, that's something that, you know, that's, that's a non-negotiable. Uh, and I do think from my experience of seeing people back who've had problems and, and bear in mind, I probably only see about one to two percent of the people that have gone away who get into trouble. Uh, that's not always the case. You know, they like I said, they might have be even borderline like overweight into, you know, the high BMI, high 20s, low 30s. And really the benefits of surgery to them did not outweigh the risks because uh, surgery doesn't make people thin and happy. You know, it, it really doesn't. And um, that's not its intent. This surgery is not cosmetic. So it really isn't to make people thin. It's to decrease weight. All right. And but they're not the same thing. And, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, thinness and, and um, health gain are, are not they don't equate. And um, so the function, the purpose of bariatric surgery is, yes, to lose weight. But a bigger part of it is to improve uh, cardiovascular health and glycemic control, which is control of your blood sugars. Uh, it improves the health of every organ in the body. Uh, but that is its primary function uh, and the weight loss is another is an assigned yeah is is there a, a bit of a, a a kind of a misconception i suppose in terms of ireland in general our relationship a kind of you know overweight and obesity in terms of how it's perceived what it is and that kind of thing do, do we need to do more around educating people there and um, so that there's a better understanding not just with these surgeries but in general of you know obesity as a disease Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's probably the biggest challenge we face overall in the next you know, decade is educating people about the, I suppose, dangers of, of overweight and obesity. And that has to be, you know, I suppose, balanced with not create scaremongering people um, and stigmatizing or trying to shame people as well. Uh, so it's a really careful balance to achieve and education is the way to do it to acknowledge to, so that people understand the, the health risk um, that they do. And I think as well, it's really important to start that early um, and draw people's attention to uh, weight and overweight. I think society has become much more accepting of, um, or in, even unaware of how, of the problems that we have. You know, we've really nice evidence that has um, looked at even clinicians, like people in healthcare settings, you know, who should be able to assess this quite easily. Do they think, or just by looking at someone, they're overweight or have obesity in that? And our perception is over the last years you know by just assessing someone um visually like it's really hard to tell you know so we have to actually go seek out measuring it formally assessing people for it um which brings up things that you should be weighing people at every opportunity um and, and I, I think you probably should there's sensitive mm. ways of doing it and of drawing it you know we don't hesitate to measure people's blood pressure uh when they come to any clinic setting uh you know similarly with kids should we you know, start weighing kids in school things like that so that attention is drawn to healthy weights or unhealthy weights very early so they're very sensitive topics to discuss and but i do think we can't shy away from drawing people's awareness to uh, the dangers of being overweight and having obesity. Um, you know, we shouldn't sacrifice um, that, uh, I suppose, opportunity to educate people, just to spare people, I suppose, the, you know, sometimes trauma of, uh, of um, identifying overweight and obesity as early as possible. 
Yeah, I is, think it's is, sorry, go on, Merrill, go on. No, I was gonna say, is what would would surgery be the best option for someone who uh, yo-yo diets? Because if you're you're saying there like you'd like to get to meet someone over nine visits uh minimum, like if you get to know that person and you see signs of yo-yo dieting, mm-hmm. does that make them a good client or is or is there's no judgment there, is there? Or no, no, none at all. Then and like people, we know all people that come to our clinic before they come to the first visit have attempted to lose weight multiple times and they've always been successful. They can lose stones and stones over and over. And the problem is the way it's done through dieting and restrictive eating leads to weight regain in the long term. The only guaranteed way to regain weight is to diet, you know, to cut your intake because it chromic it completely changes the gut hormones. If you restrict your energy intake drastically, so change your calorie intake and drastically reduce it, unknown to you, your gut is creating hunger hormones and hormones that stop you from feeling full to trick your brain. Your brain doesn't, your body doesn't like to lose weight. The the part of your brain that controls your weight is very close to where you control your temperature. Um, And you know, if you um, have a temperature like, you know, uh, regulator, I can't even think of the word for it in your house and it drops a decrease, the heating kicks in, you know, for uh, like the more modern ones kick in and it will kind of keep its temperature there. If it drops and your weight is very similar, just like another good analogy is your blood count. If you donate a unit of blood or a pint of blood um, uh, within about 10 to 12 days, your blood count will be exactly back to the 0.1 of um, a gram per liter that it should be without you having done anything without you taking iron without you changing your body will have done that in subtle ways without you noticing weight is exactly the same but it does it through creating hunger and lack of fullness you know guaranteed way to make yourself feel hungry is through dieting uh, you know most people will only think of food uh, when they're restricting their eating uh, so it's a guaranteed way to gain more weight than you've lost um, and that you is think about what you can't have fault. yeah that's what that's not your fault that's your brain you know the part of your brain you can't control we can't think yourself less hungry you can't think yourself less thirsty these are things that we have to accept people can't control themselves if they could we wouldn't have jobs you know and we wouldn't have the problem with obesity that we have not just in ireland but around the world and um, you know so the solution to it is not eating less and moving more you know you know that Jenny. like we, we we know that but we have to educate the rest of the public and other healthcare professionals that this isn't the solution it Absolutely. probably starts you know in healthcare uh, as well we're the biggest culprits of trying to just tell people ah you know uh just eat a bit less move a bit more that's really good for prevention of obesity but it is not at all a good treatment i think there's a uh, like it's it's kind of weird in that a lot of people who kind of like there's 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 a lot of facebook groups and those kind of things for for people who are you know considering bariatric surgery have had but like little support groups kind of thing and one of the common themes I've noticed kind of in having a look at them and, and kind of just reading the posts it's around that eat less move more kind of thing and people explaining that you know a lot of GPs are very supportive and they, they do their best but there's a lot of people who've had that kind of experience of you know being told well you know if if you got up off the sofa and you weren't eating as much in front of the TV this wouldn't be a problem for you if you got out and you walked more this and it's it's never as simple as that I would say and I think as, as you've said, like before people come to the clinic, I mean, I, I've had personal trainers, I've had gyms, I've been swimming, walking, I've done Slimming World. I, like I'd I gone through kind of yeah. a, a who's who and a what's what of ways to lose weight, essentially. Um, and I think for a lot of people out there, they've all done that as well. There's nobody who this is the first part of call like. 
Absolutely. So actually we wouldn't, you know, it would be, we wouldn't, um, I suppose this wouldn't be the first route for people. So to answer your question, another way, Graham, like if someone hasn't tried dieting before, we certainly wouldn't consider them a, a candidate for bariatric surgery. So yo-yo dieting is absolutely not a contraindicate. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, there, there are signs that someone has attempted to lose weight many times over again, and it hasn't been successful. So if someone actually hasn't done that, they're not, you know, we have a, we have to start a, a different way and, you know, see if somebody can achieve diet changes. Um, not, they might necessarily be dieting as such as just eating, changing certain behaviors around food. And sometimes not all, it's, it's a very simple approach to take, but for some people, educating them about, educating them about, um, the dietitians are brilliant at just educating people around their food choices and for a small number of people in our clinics that's actually enough they haven't a clue you know about their food choices and how to make healthier ones and just cutting out certain things you know that was enough to achieve enough weight loss for them to be happy to be um for that to be their goal and then to achieve the health gains they wanted that they don't need surgery you know so it's certainly while it isn't our first protocol and it shouldn't be our last it should be considered probably a bit early than we do it now but we because we also have good medications that for some people can spare them the need nobody would choose to have an operation to put themselves under general aesthetic have a knife put to their skin their gut changed around if it wasn't you know um uh, it's not a shortcut you know and it's not an easy way out there are all other myths that are out there that you know having an operation to help people lose significant amount of weight um is like cheating and there is a sense that that's you know I certainly feel that from some clinicians that actually you know yeah. people don't need this surgery that you know I shouldn't have a job doing this uh that people if they just tried like them it's usually from people who don't have a weight problem um and think that actually if we just had as much willpower as they had uh you know they wouldn't need it so that's a big problem we need to overcome and education is really the only way to do it as and people are resistant to listening to it so we just have to keep yeah. trying you were saying there about medication and a question came in. Um, what does the professor think of Ozempic for weight loss and the new injections that are coming out next year? Exactly. So Ozempic, we use a lot in our clinic. Um, for any listeners, this, this is it's not a new medication. Um, Ozempic is uh, the trade. The, that's the trade name for it. It's the generic name is semaglutide. Uh, so it's a gut hormone um, it's a hormone our, our gut makes after we eat to tell us we're full. So we all make this, uh, it's GLP-1 uh, is the hormone that semaglutide mimics. So GLP-1 is made in the lower part of our small bowel. Uh, when we eat, we trigger a surge in this and it's supposed to reach then our brain through our bloodstream and basically tell you you're full, stop eating. But people who have extra weight and obesity, it's been measured before. You can measure it in blood for, we've done it for this group for a research studies before don't make enough of it um, and that's quite a common thing with people with overweight or obesity is they don't make enough GLP-1 there's also loads of other gut hormones that are implicated but this is a well uh, you know this is certainly one of them so if you replace it through Ozempic uh, or there's a that's a once a week version of this hormone a long-acting version or there's a once a day version called Liraglutide or Victoza then it makes it gives people this sense of fullness a lack of interest in food and um, because the this hormone again works on a part of the brain that we can't control so it's a really excellent way of I suppose tricking the brain into feeling full and not having as much interest in food and it's really safe to do the downsides are it's expensive great so uh, and um, uh, you know it only works for as long as you're taking it so if someone is committed to it and it works well for them they have to continue it 
Uh, and it can cost, so the only people in Ireland at the minute who get it for free essentially would be people with type 2 diabetes because it's a treatment it also can help regulate blood sugars if they're abnormal through type 2 diabetes so patients who have type 2 diabetes and have an illness card related to that can get it as part of that but everyone else has to pay privately for it it's not reimbursed um in by the medical card or by the drugs payment scheme which i think is terrible you know it should be uh, but again it's more the stigma around obesity is that you know it hasn't been considered to pay for these treatments for obesity yet uh, so i think we'll get there um but you know that's a lot of money to and that's unaffordable for people in the long term 160 a month like it's not um and some people weigh justify it by i suppose saying look i'm paying this amount in subscriptions to weight watchers a slimming world or motivation or you know us other other commercial um uh clinics and companies that help people to lose weight so it depends for some people it's a great option but only about um it's a percentage of people who won't respond at all and we can't we've no test that predicts that in advance so if someone wants to consider medications Ozempic, for example, you just have to start people on it. Very few people can't have it. It's a very safe um, medication um, and uh, see how they go. But you know pretty quickly, you know within about three months whether someone is responding to it or not. So it's certainly worth trying. And um, for some people, it's a soft entry into surgery. They might you know, be fearful of surgery, choose medication, and then actually realize, oh, they, get, they lost maybe 10 to 15% of their weight. So maybe for someone who's 130 kilos, two and a half stone, and they feel much better with that. They feel healthier, they feel lighter, but actually surgery can offer 25 to 30%. And they know that their health will be even better. So they might realize then that actually, you know, if I keep going, the weight loss will, plateau with semaglutide you know at about usually 10 to 15 percent some people get a bit more and others get between five and ten percent so you know if people feel good at that and feel oh i need more health gain and would feel better might be healthier with further weight loss than surgery they might consider surgery differently and would that be the same as injections mm-hmm. would that be the same what the the in the question of reference the injections next year yeah, Never. so injected next year, the one I think the, um, uh, that they're referring to is a combination drug of Ozempic, essentially that drug, with another gut hormone. Uh, GIP. So if you put, so essentially the drugs are evolving from understanding what bariatric surgery does. So bariatric surgery, a sleeve and a bypass, make your gut produce loads of this of this GLP one hormone more than medication can deliver. Um, and more, uh, you know it's one of only a number of hormones that bariatric surgery, like a bypass, helps create naturally. Um, so yeah, this new injection um, is a combination of GLP one and one other gut hormone put together, and it works slightly better than either on their own. Um, now, in saying that, the evidence hasn't been published for it yet. Um, uh, it's available, but not actually published in peer-reviewed journals. So we can't really, I suppose, sing its praises yet until that process has been complete. And, you know, uh, the scientific process is um, rigor has been applied uh, to, the, to the data and it's been scrutinized. But it looks really promising that people could get maybe even 15 to 20% weight. So nothing yeah. yet has been able to put all of what, no medication has been able to replicate what surgery does does um, and i've no doubt in you know years time we, we might get there with medication and um, but they're aiming to deliver you know parts of what surgery achieves in, in an attempt at a clunky segue uh, you, you said there a second ago about kind of the, there's other uh, medical professionals who kind of almost kind of view what you do was like wh- why do you have a job in that role yeah. and, we re- and we referenced waiting lists earlier on and when when you when you made that comment my head instantly went well there wouldn't be the jesus waiting list there is if this wasn't needed you know 
and it's like how I don't, I'm conscious of framing this very negatively and I don't mean to but how bad are the waiting lists at present in Ireland yeah it's, and it's forever changing or they're really bad like to get into Lachlan's to say you're referred today um, at any into our clinic and um, it's interesting when we um a little more funding in the last few years has been injected into the service um, and as then we've been doing more surgery so I started there back in 2017 or around this time five years ago um, and we were able to then bring the surgical numbers up to you know about 80 a year you know aiming to get to up to about 100 a year this year um, uh, from about 10 to 20 a year so we've been doing more but because more the results are being noticed by clinicians who refer to energy the, the referral patterns have shot through the roof so um, we're getting more and more and more referrals than we ever were before so now it takes about four and a half years we've about we've almost over 3,000 people waiting to get their first appointment in the clinic um, uh, so and the same it's the same number of staff essentially that have been there all the time so the resources basically have been diverted to managing and getting people ready for surgery off that end of the waiting list but it's getting longer at the other end you know to get people into the clinic so to get to surgery although it was about i don't know when you you know if, if you remember your waiting time uh Danny, i'd be interested to hear that but it yeah. was about, when i started it was about five to six years people have been sitting on the waiting list that's down to about two now but we've added four to the beginning so oh, yeah i think i I eventually went to my GP asking to be referred to Lachlanstown in around 2017. And I think I got in the doors of Lachlanstown in either late 2018 or early 2019, thereabouts. I'm I'm pretty certain that's the timeline for me anyway. So that's not not too bad. It's still five years process overall. Mm. But I think it's down, you know, I suppose I am, I suppose, proud of the fact that it is decreasing um, at one end, you know, certainly the way to get to surgery from 2018, 19 to now. And we had COVID obviously in the middle of that, that delayed yeah. and stalled everything for um, almost six months um, on top of that. So, you know, it is things are, we needn't be so pessimistic. It is getting better, but the amount of people eligible for surgery is escalating all the time. So um, the numbers and the awareness of its benefits is actually improving. So I did mention yeah. we've lots still more education to do, but that is reaching certain, you know, a lot of um, uh, clinicians who deal with consequences of obesity. So our cardiologists, our endocrinologists, um, uh, as uh, other surgeons who, for example, maybe can't do a knee operation or a womb operation because someone's weight is making it too risky to do so. So other clinicians are realizing now there is a way um, to help people to lose weight that's not just eat less, move more, that doesn't work. Um, so, you know, they are the referral patterns have escalated, but actually we are doing more. And actually we have got some good news in the last, um, uh, or Don O'Shea, who's the clinical lead for, the national clinical lead for obesity service, and everyone will be familiar with like his um, work tirelessly over the last um, decade to get obesity services properly funded and uh, you know accessible across the country um, and his efforts are finally paying off in terms of getting Department of Health and HSE to agree that we do need to do more of this um, and there is you know an agreement that we probably have to be doing about 1200 operations a year around Ireland yeah. uh, to not we wouldn't even meet the need or demand at, at that level um, but it would bring us near in line what other European countries are doing per 100,000 of the population. Um, so and that wouldn't treat, that won't get rid of our, the, the obesity problem in Ireland, but it will make treating obesity slightly maybe less expensive in terms of treating diabetes and heart disease and cancer. And um, so we'd make a 
better impact and that's the kind of number that Ireland needs to be doing um, and that will involve opening up other centres like Galway and maybe Cork uh, having centres so not everybody needs to come um, as far as Lachlanstown and, uh, and, and Vincent's to have their surgery yeah. so people could get it closer to their catchment area or, or closer to home. Is uh, is there well, any funding then? Funding is the issue for the long waiting lists. Yeah, it always is, Graham. And you know, you could argue very few um healthcare treatments or certainly surgeries save money. You know, if you do a cancer operation, the, the, the hospital the, get nothing back. The Department of Health, you know, that's just a cost that's incurred, you know, yes, to treat a really important disease and save someone's life. But bariatric surgery saves money, you know. So um, in getting people off the medications that they're on for diabetes and all the things that are paid for, you know, but through the drugs payment scheme or the costs that are absorbed by the state and by the taxpayer, um, they can all be um, eliminated within a number of months or years after a bariatric operation. Diabetes is the best example. It's so expensive to treat type 2 diabetes uh, with the newer drugs. Um, like uh, most people with type 2 diabetes will be on semaglutide or G that Ozempic drug or an equivalent. Um, mm. You know, if someone goes on insulin, it's really expensive. It can cost almost 5,000 a year just on medications alone to treat somebody. And the cost of the operations are just a bit more than that. So, you know, within, you get back the cost of surgery that the state does within two years, just over two years, about 2.3 years. Um, and then that patient is saving that amount of money. Time, so it pays for another operation, uh, like, uh, you know, every, every, um, every year going forward. So it's a no brainer to, to do this. Um, but the way healthcare is funded in Ireland doesn't really um, look forward that, that far yet, you know, it should do. Um, uh, and I think that'll come in time, but uh, yeah, it's a way to save money um, by treating um, uh, expensive diseases like diabetes and kidney disease, heart disease and cancer. It's short, a short term hit for a medium to long term yeah. gain. Kind of yeah, thing. exactly. It's, you um, can't get on private then. You can't go private and get this done. You can, you can as well. And that's a way it is a bit quicker, um, which is always the the dilemma, the, the, uh, you know, the, the two tier system in terms of um, uh, like people who have private insurance, usually accessing care is where that's useful and where it makes it easier. Um, there's a few centres around Ireland who, who offer bariatric surgery privately. Um, uh, and yes, the newest, I suppose, health insurance companies have agreed to fund it in the last few years, which is absolutely appropriate. Again, they, you know, it saves them money and they are saving money on people needing knee operations after hip operations um, and, you know, um, cancer operations and other things. So the health insurance companies under certain very strict criteria, stricter than even what's applied in Lockmanstown you know they add five bmi points to what we discussed earlier before they'll fund it um as a way to limit it you know to to people which is wrong but um again i think that in, in you know shortly they'll come in line with the criteria mentioned earlier which are considered you know the international uh, eligibility criteria and um, so that's a good thing that health insurance companies will pay for it but once someone has gone through the proper assessment process by the team, which includes the dietitian, the psychologist, the medic, the surgeon, and um, at minimum, uh, and that they they apply a weight that the again stigma applies here. The insurance companies, for the most part, consider obesity pre-existing. So yeah. if someone just joined an insurer like last year or the year before, it depends on the wait period that someone has before it will be covered. I think as well that 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 piece around even going privately, you still have to go through a dietitian and and you have yeah. to do all those bits. And I think, and I'm not, 
unconscious like there's people who are listening to this that's like a consultation process is it Danny Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think that there's people who are listening to this who who may be considering kind of all you know like do I want to do this surgery like they've probably looked at going abroad and that kind of thing and I think one one of the really key things and again from from my own point of view having gone through the process having that access to speak to a dietitian and a psychologist and all those kind of things to prepare myself for surgery was absolutely essential for me Mm -hmm. being comfortable with going ahead with it and, and knowing and understand everything understanding everything um going through private healthcare it, you're going through a similar albeit kind of shorter process going abroad while at a glance you're kind of thinking i'm getting the same surgery yeah and it's you're not you're not getting those same things though you're not getting the education piece that's so important to this and i think no, it's I that's probably the biggest obstacle to it that people don't really understand what they're getting themselves into yeah that'd be fair to say yeah, you're absolutely right. They miss the most the most important part of it, which it helps with selection and preparation. Mm. Uh, now it's dressed up a little bit, as you know, on paper they offer offer that and say you can have a virtual consultation with a dietitian, like after you know, and it's dressed up a little bit to kind of pretend, like to, I suppose, um, seem like it offers the multidisciplinary approach. But yeah. our experience and you know the reality is that that's not the case, you know. So um, if people go over, I've never met the team before, and they arrive over the day before an operation, my experience is 100% of people will have the operation the day after. And, you know, that's if, if, if 100 people go through Locks and Sound Clinic, only 50, 50 people, 50% make it to surgery. You know, there's, an, there's a, a dropout and that's actually the same around the world, you know, that 50% of people attending a weight management clinic uh, proceed to surgery either because they opted out or I suppose they were advised against it for a few reasons or were held up for some reason. All, yeah. you know, clinically appropriate um, or was the patient's choice um, and that's not the case you know if you're going abroad you're going to have your operation whether it's the right thing for you or not it's a purely commercial um uh transaction you know so um and uh you know i've heard i suppose to me they're horror stories of people who are co- coerced into having additional operations for a lesser price some adding on cosmetic operations like teeth um uh, either whitening or you know, a, a dental operation um, or things like we'll fix a hernia for just this amount extra or we'll add in your gallbladder and um, mm. not all of which it's hard to believe is, is appropriate um, mm. but it's just all commercially driven um, and it should never be like that with healthcare. Um, so you prefer people didn't go abroad for this procedure? Yeah, I totally understand why they do, though, great. Like, because we, they know they're they're actually still doing the right thing for their health, you know, in getting the surgery for the most part. But it's the trauma of adjusting to it when you're relatively unprepared for it, and for some, that's worse than the benefits that they get. You know, they mm-hmm. we've had some people who just cannot adjust to it. They, you know, it's really hard to relearn and retrain yourself how to eat and drink. You know, and people can get quite sick if they don't aren't able to and prepared to do that. Um, and some people psychologically really struggle with not being have, be able to have exactly the same relationship to food yeah. or with food that they had before. You know, it can be really um, unsettling and can really destabilize people. Um, if you take away what was a really important comfort or coping mechanism for people, um, because you have to identify that first thing and give someone some, give a person, the role of psychologist is to identify these things and also to help the patient get different coping mechanisms in place before undergoing surgery so that it's not just always food or the associations around food uh, that's all a really important part of the transition and preparation for surgery and it's awful hard to do that afterwards especially if someone's not feeling great and sick you know yeah. um it has a domino effect so yeah it's um it's uh it's it's a 
it's it's just difficult to deal with afterwards but I, as I said I totally understand why people do it when you, you know they, they, a lot of people feel they can't afford to wait you know they feel their health is um, deteriorating or they're really worried about it and they feel three or four years waiting for this just isn't an option for them um, and mostly they'll get away with it you know and they'll know a friend or they'll know someone on social media who um, got away with it and is singing its praises and recommended clinics um, so people you know and it upsets me that the company Companies that market this and and uh, I've learned in the last few weeks I suppose how targeted they are in in um, uh, uh, I suppose identifying I would think you know sometimes vulnerable people or influ- yeah. people that are easily influenced um, uh, and they you know really target target social media groups um, and I suppose for whatever I put in on on, so, on uh, you know if I am on my computer doing like I I have seen ads and gotten ads based on you know if I look up my bariatric surgery if I'm working away on my computer all related to my work um I'll still through social media get um ads for bariatric surgery in Prague and Turkey and all the other clinics that I know patients go to so you know they're really their their marketing tricks are are really good at targeting people uh sadly Uh, You know, busloads and plane loads of people are going abroad weekly for this. That's it. There, there's a huge amount of people doing it, and it's again, it's it's not for the wrong reason. Like no, exactly. you know, it's it, but it's um, again, it's 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 making sure that people kind of have done their research, they understand it, and they know what it is before they. And I, the fact that people are getting offered hernias and teeth and everything as a kind of add-on is madness. Yeah. That's just. Yeah. I know. the recovery was great for me like I, I mean a week or two was a bit rough but I mean I wouldn't have fancied getting over a gallbladder removal at the same time I know. Or... and for some people that's really it's necessary and if someone's having an anesthetic mm. and they needed it absolutely and we do it too you know but yeah. again it's carefully it, it adds to risk it adds to time of the operation it adds to recovery so you really carefully consider it you know it has to be in the patient's interest um, at best interests and, and make you know it has to be safe for them um, and they have to benefit from doing anything additional and um, you know so it's yeah it's uh, it just they're the kind of things that worry me most is just taking advantage of people when they're kind of vulnerable and so desperate to get one operation and feel under pressure mm. um, by by people who are you know just expert work marketers that, absolutely yeah it's uh, yeah. And one of the smallest things, well, it's not a small thing, but one, the, just in terms of those adjustments and everything, the one that I'm still, I have to set a little alarm for is that just that small adjustment, but vital adjustment of waiting the 25, 30 minutes yeah. after you've eaten before. Because I would so often, like previously, just, you know, be sipping on a drink as I eat my dinner or my lunch. Yeah, kind of washing it down. We all do it. We all yeah. do it. Kind of. And I suppose the reason, the risk with it is, there's two reasons, I think, why we recommend people don't um, do not do it in the very early stages. You could fill up too much uh, on just liquids and not have enough room for the really important part of your meal, which is protein. Okay. You know, and then if you drink in it, drink in with your food, it can cause the small little stomach pouch. So remember, it's only the size of a small fist um, to get overfilled and you'd be, be sick. So that's why you have to wait, kind of just eat food and then put your drink in after when essentially some of that food is emptied out of your stomach pouch. Um, you know, if you mix it all together, it just expands and starting to be sick and sore. Um, yeah. So it's just about learning that. And people learn the hard way, you know, if they're not prepared, they will be sick a lot if they yeah. if they don't. Um, and same with throwing back a drink. Like we're all used to throwing back, like, a, you know, when you're really thirsty, you can't do that. Um, oh, listen, the heat wave was a killer the last year. Like I was sitting there and I was like, all I want to do is gulp down like a pint of water with ice and it's there. 
Sip, sip, sip. Sip, sip, sip. But, um, it, gets, it gets a bit easier. But yeah, it's really important ah, to yeah. understand those rules and, and why they're there uh, to protect you, you know, yeah. from, from misery. <laughs> well, listen, this is it. And so far, so good. So I can't complain. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of time and just we have a couple of questions. So if we can almost do this like a quick fire kind of thing, if yeah. such a thing exists when you're trying to cover off very important medical details. Do you know what I mean? okay. but, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the questions we got was, uh, I'm 61 next year. I know there's a long waiting list, but will I run out of time in terms of my age going against me for surgery? No, we have no age limit um, for surgery. You know, sometimes um, Danny, we'd have people in their 40s and 50s who are have more health problems and be higher risk than someone in their 60s. Mm-hmm. So no, we do people up until their early 80s. You know, there's sometimes it all depends on, I suppose, someone's overall fitness and the benefits that they have to get, get you know. So people live and, and should live good quality of quality of life, have a good quality of life into their 70s and 80s. Um, so there's reasons for doing this, you know, in people as they get older. And certainly we have good evidence now that says it's generally not riskier and patients do just as well in their 60s when they have surgery as they do in their 40s so you know they can still get all of the benefits for um the same risk profile once we know what that is and it's well managed and they're well optimized uh, it's yeah. just more personalized decision based on each person's kind of health uh, uh, um, at the time of the surgery or, or as they're being, being assessed for it excellent that's good news um i had a gastric sleeve a number of years ago everything was going great but in the last six months i've noticed the way starting to creep back up am i okay to re- sorry this just worded a bit weird am i okay to try and go ahead with a full bypass or is that risky it's a really interesting question actually it's one that we're even i suppose both studying um, and studying at the minute so the sleeve was initially introduced as a stepping stone to a bypass so about probably now nearly 20 years ago. Um, it's been that op- the operation um, to remove parts of the stomach has been done for cancer for years. Uh, and we knew it caused people to lose weight. If someone had a cancer in a part of their stomach and you know, a good portion of it was removed, you got rid of the cancer, but patients also lost weight as a result. So we knew that this it could do that. But then as an obesity operation, um, you know, it became its own, you know, a standalone procedure um in about the early, I suppose, or you know, to uh, you know, between 2000 and 2010. Um, and as I said, it was initially introduced when people were considered, I suppose, uh, to have too high a BMI to allow you to do a bypass safely. Um, um, all in one go that you'd have a sleeve first about a year later when the weight was down safely go on and do the sep- second stage which is a bypass by the way I should probably explain sometimes a bypass just is if it was a patient's preferred operation there's a few instances where it's just not doable you need the bowel to be able to move around you know with um you know without any tension to move around someone's having to get it to, to divert it um, and uh, that's not easy if people's BMI is above you know not it depends on on where people carry their weight but generally if it's above 55 or as it goes up bmi above 60 can be really hard to do bypass if not impossible and unsafe so a sleeve is a safer option in that regard Uh, and like i said then someone can lose 25 to 30 percent of the weight with the sleeve but there is a higher chance of weight regain and it can happen after the so-called honeymoon period which can last for you know some people about two years other people get a lot longer and so a bypass is the traditional solution. Switch it over then to restore the weight that was regained, you know, to, to restore mm. the weight loss that they'd achieved initially. Actually, we've learned that it doesn't achieve extra weight loss. You know, so if someone loses 25 to 30 percent of the sleeve and then they go on and have a bypass, they might lose nothing more. So you've taken on the risk of an operation for very little benefit. So it always depends on if someone's regaining weight 
great. And um, there's other things you can do. You can relook at everything with the team, make sure that, you know, old habits are really hard to break and they can sneak back in. Um, and it's time for an MDT assessment again. So just resetting, you know, go back to basics. And often that's enough to get the sleeve, I suppose, get, you know, working really well with somebody, you know, working well for somebody again. Um, if it isn't, then another alternative now is adding in medication to save someone either, you know, at, at least on a short to medium term basis. Um, but ultimately converting to a gastric bypass can be uh, considered. I can't say it's a solution um, yeah. because it's very individual. The decision to do it is individualized. You know, it, um, it might add extra health benefits. So if someone's diabetes came back, for example, and it had gone away and they then regained weight, that might be an indication to do a bypass because it's a better operation for diabetes. Uh, if someone got bad reflux as their weight came back then with the sleeve, a bypass might be better. So it's very individualized, um, but it's, it's an option, but it's not the only one. And it doesn't yeah. always achieve what the patient wants uh, as a, you know, further weight loss operation. Excellent. Um, we, we covered off short answers, I've realized. No, no look, it's all, it's all right. uh, we covered off the, the private insurance. And so I'll skip that question. This is probably more one for a dietitian. I'd probably recommend somebody to talk to a dietitian about this, uh, but they've asked, I'm going abroad in September for a surgery. Will I still be able to eat some of my favorite foods, breads, pastas? All this is definitely a question for a dietitian, but I'll throw it at you to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. that's a common misconception as well, I think, because people think uh, people think automatically, oh, like people are restricted. Like mm. people are allowed to go out and have a meal, I, I assume, once this is all said and done. Absolutely. And again, I'm not sure if you've done that yet, if you've kind of taken that step to um, and I'll be this, yeah, this weekend gone, I had my first venture out the big bad world. And I was, uh, yeah, it was it was it was weird because I was a, I was a little bit apprehensive, if I'm being honest, like because at home it's very controlled and you're kind of, you know, you, you, you know what you're putting in and you're watching your protein and you're watching how you're cooking it. So there's no oils or any of that kind of thing going out you're kind of looking at the menu in advance and you're saying, all right, there's a couple of things there, but I'll have to ask, like, is that cooked in oil? Is that cooked this way, that way? Um, but then we went out anyway. I ended up just going for uh, a chicken Caesar salad with the dressing on the side. So that kind of gave me just, it was grand. It was absolutely, I was delighted, to be honest with you, because I was like, listen, this is, you know, opening the door now to show me that, like, okay, you know, it's, it's not straightforward. I just rock up, look at the menu, get whatever I want. I can have a starter, a main and a dessert. That's not on the cards. Yeah. But equally, will that ever be on the cards? Um, I don't know. They want it to be on the cards is probably a better another way of asking yeah. the question. You know, it's interesting. Like when people say about well, my favorite foods, they'll change after surgery. So it's yeah. just again to me that reflects the importance of preparing someone for surgery. So, um, you know, and if someone has a decision made to go away in a certain time, really important that they kind of talk to somebody about this a professional in advance because. It's very hard afterwards to try and eat your favorite foods when A, might, might really want them and B, probably can't, not can't have them for, but there's a staged introduction of foods that's kind of for the patient's safety. Um, yeah. So it's really important to do that homework and kind of ask these questions of the right healthcare professional, which certainly I can answer them, but, you know, a dietitian prepares someone really well for this um, and gives them, you know, the, um, I suppose, you know, information to prepare in advance and to know when they can introduce things safely so that they won't be sick. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like. I, I'm not looking at that as I can't have. Mm. I'm also trying to tell myself I won't have it yet. You know what I mean? Like it's. 
it's a small thing, but it's just that little mental adjustment for me is making a difference. And again, for other people, that probably means, you know, that's, you're being ridiculous. But, but like, am, I right, am I right, Danny, in saying you don't um, want them as much or miss them? Uh, you know, you're 100%. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Like, this, don't be wrong now, right? I have had days where I've been there and I've gone like, geez, I just love a slice of pizza. Do you know what I mean? But but again, there's ways you can get that. Like, you know, you, you can be smart about the t- kind of you use a little wrap and you kind of make it a fake yeah. pizza or whatever, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I actually think I did that and I sent Mero a photo of it and everything. And um, but there's, you know, like, again, when, you know, the weather was roasting and all that, I like cubes. My wife was drinking uh, a glass of Coke with ice. And I was like, bitch. You know, do you know what I mean? Like a, a split second of envy, like you know. But then I then I had me a bit of my body, and I was grand, like. Um, yeah. So, so the small, but in general, I I don't. I'm not missing stuff at all. The thing that I thought I'd miss would be kind of because of a sweet tooth. So I thought I'd miss, you know, chocolate and that kind of thing. I'm not particularly missing it at all. Yeah, what I've, that's what I've, common. Yeah. yeah. What, what what I've done is I've got myself uh, a a bar of dark chocolate. And if I get a really, I just break off a square and I pop it in and I just let it melt in my mouth yeah. kind of thing. And I'm like, that gives me a little bit of a fix. And it's it's low sugar it's and it's one square. I think that's the other thing for people as well. Like, and I, if I'm breaking rules here, correct me, right? But like, I'm, I'm seven weeks post-surgery now and I'm kind of at that point when I'm slowly reintroducing things in. And I'm kind of saying to myself, right, there's going to have to be a little bit of trial and error too. Like, you know, there's some foods that I would have had before that I'm going to try now. I don't know what it is about ham. I used to love ham. If if I even look at ham now, I can't hack it. Like I just can't. Yeah. But the, the, the small things, so long as you're doing things in small doses and you're learning gradually, you, you yeah. should be and okay. You have the time to do that, you know, and you yeah, were prepared yeah. for it, Danny. You know, you knew to reintroduce things slowly and would it time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a big one. And I, I never thought in my life I'd look forward to a bit of broccoli, but I tried a bit of broccoli the other day and it was great. <laughs> Never in my life did I think I can't I'm dying for a bit of broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement when I saw it on the plate, lads. So yeah. Um after weeks of meat and dairy. <laughs> yeah, the, the protein, the, the protein thing's an adjustment. And I think for people who maybe don't eat a lot of meat in general as well, like prioritizing your protein above all else is probably an adjustment for people. But again, mm-hmm. like that, it's like Anton, just once once you get into the routine of it, you'd be grand. Yeah. I know it's interesting. A lot of patients would say before surgery, they live to eat and after surgery, they eat to live, you know, and it's just a completely different mindset to food. Like you do, protein is the most exciting part of a meal. It's usually the carbohydrate, the the, the pasta, the rice, you know, the ratio. Um, and we try and get educate people and train people to, um, you know, start with the bit that's most important to them, you know, so that if you get your protein in and you fill up on that, at least you've gotten what your body needs the most. You know, the carbohydrate is completely superfluous. Like we don't need it, you know, for um, the veg would be the next thing that you need for mm. vitamins and minerals and um, fiber. Um, so, you know, we do try and get people to, to leave that, you know, what we now consider pre-surgery might have considered like the, the only important bit or the, the most satisfying part of the meal. And so just that that adjustment of, you know, eating to live um, uh, just to get into your body. It's it's again, just totally different relationship with food, isn't it? it yeah. Yeah. Big time. And it's, it's sort of better. Like, you know, as I said, I'm not missing that. And I don't feel like I'm missing out on things. I think you'll always get a craving or two. I think you'll always yeah. anybody. It's about finding you know, ways of, indul- of, you know, satisfying it um, that don't make you ill. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Or without picking up the phone to the Chinese takeaway and, yeah. you know, yeah. those kind of things. So. Um, but it's 
yeah, look, it's it's good. And speaking personally for me, like I'm 28 kilos down now. So, mm. I mean, it's working, <laughs> you know, from yeah, that yeah. point of view. I feel <laughs> great. Helen, I, I, Helen, we record every Wednesday evening and uh, I do be del- every time I see him on a Wednesday because I don't see him for the week. And, and I notice it off his neck and off his fresh face and all. You just look brilliant. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's uh, uh, the other day we had to stop wearing the wedding ring because it mm-hmm. fell off and I can't keep it on <laughs> anymore. So that's some so excuse. They're the, the milestones that, you know, that, that are really, it's it's really ever the number of kilos that people kind of, you know, yeah. um, c- celebrate or, or enjoy. So it's kind of milestones of different size clothes or being the, shop, Yeah. You know, the, um, the, the non scale victories are, are the yeah. kind of ones that are, because I'm not trying to, like for again for a lot of people the weight is probably one of the more important things but i'm kind of doing it from the point of view of like this was going to make me healthier overall yeah. and it's going to hopefully add a couple of years on to the yeah. end of my life and that kind of thing um, it does give you great satisfaction helen does it yeah absolutely Graham. it's why i chose it above other types of surgery because um you know there's uh like for example i don't do any cancer surgery completely by choice because i just didn't find it as rewarding it can certainly save lives but you usually have taken away a bit of some you know i found it um i found in with cancer really hard and difficult uh, and i found with um bariatric surgery just it's probably a very selfish reason it's the most satisfying thing you can do for somebody for you know um really changing sometimes the healthcare experiences that people have um but also adding quality to people's lives um for a pretty straightforward intervention you know the surgical bit is actually the easy bit uh, the patient order goes it does and the, the rest of the team have much harder job than than i have in terms of the intensity of preparation and the follow-up as well so yeah for those it is it is satisfying yeah, and uh, and most importantly i love the patients <laughs> you know as uh, um corny as it sounds i really do the complexity of the patient uh patients that undergo bariatric surgery but you know medically and everything is um it's just really rewarding to make their lives kind of healthier um and you know more functional and add quality and years to people's lives it, it is great it's, it's satisfying absolutely well i, I again I, I, I'm saying this far too much but speaking from personal experience again like uh, I'm delighted I've gone through the process I can't take you and the team enough is absolutely from locking down all the way through to surgery post-surgery amazing to deal with and I couldn't have been in better hands throughout the entire thing so genuinely thanks for that um, but yeah look it's it's uh, it's a long road, but it's it's a road worth traveling. It is, yeah. You know? It's early days, and you've probably yet to experience most of the benefits. You know, you've probably mm. been through the hardest part of it. Um, and there's ups and downs, like every uh, I hate the word journey. I really do like someone's journey with it. But and me and Mara were talking about this the other week, and I yeah. said it's a bit of a journey. I've never felt like more of a prat in my life. I know, I know like, me too. But it's exactly that. Like, you know, yeah, there's potholes yeah. along the way, like where uh, all fixable and, and easy things, and you know, it's a smooth enough, uh, smooth enough journey for most people, but um, um, yeah, and like that. But it is important to have access to a team and to have follow up. And um, it's important for us. We get to see how people are are doing, and you know, we get to um, see. We want to see people do well as much as we want to see yeah. the people who are struggling for various different reasons. So, um, and it's uh, yeah, no, it's um, uh, it's uh, it's it's rewarding to do. But um, for us, that's in seeing in seeing you come back and seeing people do do well and adjust. You know, just adjust the way I suppose you're doing already. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm conscious we've taken up more than enough of your time uh, as a very, very, very busy person. But for, for people who have listened and people who are kind of going, oh, okay, all right, that's a lot of information. Where can I go and find out more? What would you recommend? Where, where can they go to start on, the, on this journey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's <laughs> a good question. So I suppose, yeah. And it brings me to the point that, you know, our um, we certainly need to um, improve the information that's on. We need a website where we can put this. We do have one for the Vincent's private um, hospital where we all we, we work as well. The same team mm-hmm. but like that. Unfortunately, it's just the access to it is easier. But actually, we do have a very good um, internet or um, web page about bariatric surgery there. Um, and also we have a nice one hour video. Uh, where, um, you know, uh, I speak about surgery before that one of the medical doctors speaks about the medicines that we've talked about earlier. Uh, our dietitian there speaks about the diet changes before and after surgery. Um, and our, a psychologist there speaks about the kind of bari- the psycho- psychological implications of bariatric surgery. So it's a nice one hour video that kind of talks to people through options for just weight loss in general and health improvements in general if someone has extra weight. So it's a nice place to start by watching that video. Um, and give empowering people with information to make the right decisions about what's best for them to access the service in Lachlanstown that you've been in it really needs I suppose a GP or a clinician's referral into the service so to me to Dr. Jean O'Connell who's the uh, medical doctor you'll be familiar with uh, to Don O'Shea to any of us in into the service and um, that'll get to us and it'll start the process so um, you know we need we will update or, or now that more people want the information it's our responsibility to provide it clearly um, and you know and accurately for people we probably have to embrace social media a bit better to get our information out there to counteract maybe a lot of what's there that might be entirely you know um uh, accurate from a, a, a medical st- uh, point of view and um, so I'm conscious we probably need to do that um uh, as much as I've tried to avoid it <laughs> avoid going there to date but you know we we do have that nice video um and a web page through the svbh.ie uh, website um which uh, will uh, that's probably a good place to to start brilliant brilliant well, professor Helen Heenan Thank you again for everything and for being so generous with your time this evening. Um, it's been really helpful and I'm hoping a lot of people who listen now will, will get the benefits out of that as well. So thanks very much. Thanks so oh, much for having me, Danny. Thanks, Graham. It's a pleasure. A very informative chat there, Graham. It was, great. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. We, we didn't get to all, the, I hope in some way, shape or form, we covered the vast majority of questions that people had sent us in advance of that kind of yeah. thing. Um, there's probably a couple we didn't uh if not sorry but you know the, the we've a limited amount of time to do these things and you're covering such a broad topic but i hope in some way shape or form we covered off the vast majority of questions Quite our best thanks for your questions um yeah. jackie my mom's friend thanks for the questions i didn't yes. get to them all but thank you but yeah that was brilliant thanks to professor helen Heenan and uh yeah really generous with her time there and uh, that's it for this episode of what's the story podcast um we'll be back again next week we're on a good run we have a good one next week we have a good one next week a bit of, a bit of a special one one it's that we're gonna looking be, forward to it's going to be our first in-person podcast in about two and a half years it's going to be mayhem I'm not looking forward to the mayhem yeah it will I'm, be no it'll be great I'm, I ha- because I haven't be memorable live, I haven't live produced one of these episodes in a long time oh uh, you're going to be quite pansy I'm, I'm going to it's going to I'm going to have to be twiddling knobs and fixing buttons and Telling people to stop talking into it'll be great, Danny. It'll be an experience, I'm, and we won't have to do it again for a while. I'm nervous though. I am nervous about it. I won't lie because I, yeah. I I feel like we're being led into an ambush game. If I'm being personally on, I think so too. I feel as though we're about to be ambushed, a bit like Michael Collins and Bale and blah. We'll reveal more next week. It'll all know next week. We will indeed. We will indeed. Um, great. Until then, though, if people want to listen to the previous 271 podcast that preceded this particular podcast, where and how can they do so? 
they can go to wtspod.com and you'll have all of our previous episodes or you can search on any podcast provider search WTS pod podcast republic podbean stitcher apple podcast spotify anywhere everywhere you get a podcast just search WTS pod on Twitter and Instagram, he's at Dan John Murray. I'm at Merrigan Mania. And until next time, super hoops in Europe. It's it's ha- it's not even half nine, it's dark. That's depressing. Jeez, the bright nights are gone, aren't they? They're gone, they're gone. We're going into that, the autumn. That grand stretch is down to an L stretch. Yeah. You know. And just you just me, me there and that was dummy. Yeah, you know, there's another one. Ah, until next time. Realize. Full arts. Can't lose. Can't lose. Too sweet. <laughs>